so we're in this series called Pushing Back the Darkness. Week one, we talked about praise and how praise was this tool that God gives us to help push back the darkness through his power in our lives. Um, it's just powerful. Last week, we spent time talking about prayer and we were given this template, not an incantation, but we were given a template on how we should um, pray like a disciple pray. This is what God gave his disciples and we follow along in that great tradition of prayer as prayer pushes back on the darkness in our lives. And um, also in, that, in the midst of that, there's this idea that if we are to receive forgiveness, we have to give it so that we become comfortable with the idea of forgiveness in our lives. And today we're talking about presence. We're talking about the presence of God in our lives. And um, we, know that, we know that presence is really important, but not just the presence of God in our lives. Listen, the presence of people that you love, and pe- there's always somebody that when you see, it's like, all right. You know, there's someone in your life that you have. Now, maybe it's the person that you're married to. That's awesome because you wake up in the morning like, yeah, all right. I get to be in a lot of airports, and um, I always love it. Like when I land in Ontario, and, you know, you've got to go down that escalator because, well, you can see kind of what people do for other people in their lives. There's some people who stand at the bottom, and the person comes up, person starts to come down the escalator, and they're like, you know that's not going to be a good vacation. Like that situation's not going to work. And then there's those people that, and this happens sometimes when I'm on the escalator. Like I'm on the escalator, I see the person down there. And as I kind of go down, they look and they're like, ah, and their face lights up. And you're like, yeah, and you're, hey. And you realize that's not for me. I don't know you. Um, and that's always, that's always tough. Um, um, I've been married to my wife 24 years this year. 24 years. Yeah. Listen. It means one thing. It means she's never going to pick me up at the airport again ever. That's what that means. So the nice thing is I get that when I get home. Like when I get home, I open the door and the face of my dog lights up. Just so happy you're there. Um, the rest of the family's busy. They don't seem to care so much. But we have, there's this presence. When we have the presence of someone like that in our lives, it's just overwhelming. It's phenomenal. It is so incredibly great. Mike Iaconelli, who was really kind of a, a forerunner of, of early youth ministries in the 80s and 90s, he put together an organization called Youth Specialties. I, I found a quote from him that I thought was really great. He says this. He says, for as long as I can remember, I have wanted to be a godly person. But when I look back at the yesterdays of my life, what I see mostly is a broken, irregular path littered with mistakes and failure. I've had temporary successes and isolated moments of closeness to God, but I long for the continuing presence of Jesus. And this is what I think most of us want. And most of us want this. I mean, this is why we come to church, right? You figure, well, at least if nothing else, there's a lot of people there and maybe the presence of God will show up. There's some praise and and that's pretty good. And that would be really awesome to have. So we're going to talk about presence today. But I believe the presence of God does three things. And these will be shown through the scriptures that we study today. I I think that the presence of God, I think it protects, I believe it provides, and I know that it prevails. It protects, it provides, and it prevails. And we'll get to each of these three things in the text as we read them. But but experiencing the presence of God is powerful, and we know that. And in fact, the presence of God is spoken to us in Scripture. And as I went to look, I realized it's not just spoken a little bit. It's spoken all over Scripture. So like Exodus 33, 14, the Lord replied, listen, I'll personally go with you, Moses. 
and I will give you rest. Do you know that the presence of God is rest? Isn't that beautiful? The presence of God is a Sabbath in your life. Um, personally, I'll go with you, Moses. I'll give you rest. Everything is going to be okay because I prevail. My presence prevails. That's what's going to happen, right? Everything's going to be fine. Or how about Matthew eighteen twenty? And I love this one. You know this one. For when two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. Now, you know that this pushes back on a lot of years of tradition because in the Jewish tradition, you did not experience the presence of God really until you had a quorum. You weren't a church until you had a quorum, which was 10 men. And clearly it was men who set up that rule, right? Because men thought, well, more of us, the better. And all the women in the room went, well, is that really true? I don't know if that makes sense. You get 10 men together, you got 14 opinions, none of which are right. All right? So there was 10 men that you had to get together. But now Jesus is saying, actually, you don't need 10 people for the presence of God. Where two or three are gathered together, you'll get the presence of God. This is brand new, and this is a community promise. By the way, this is what we believe to be true in our growth strategy, if you will, in, in what we believe our, our, our growth is coming from. So, for instance, we plant sites, June 22, down in Glendale. We're having another pop-up for our Foothills campus, and we want you guys to come. We want you to invite your friends and the people that you know to be there um, on June 22. But we don't just plant sites. I had three conversations this week with people who are meeting in homes, four, five, eight. The one group have 35 people that are meeting in homes every single week, watching the service, doing the Bible study, creating community and feeling and experiencing the presence of God, right? That's amazing. That's amazing. So you don't need 150 people. Yeah, you don't need 150 people. Two or three, you got it. We church when we do that. That's how that works, because the presence of God is there. Or 1 John 4.16, we know how much God loves us and has put our trust, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And that's language, this perichoretic language, this language of relationship and abiding and dwelling together, right? It's beautiful. It's seen all over the Gospel of John as well as in um, the little letters of John as well. There's this just overwhelming sense that God is not just with us, not just a companion, but he's actually inside of us, in our hearts, fueling our desires and our passions for what he wants in our lives, or how about Genesis? Let's jump to the very beginning of Scripture. Genesis, he says, what's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I'll bring you back to this land, don't worry. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. This is a group of people who are about to be dispersed. They were about to be the diaspora, leaving the, the, the country that God had given them. And God's like, it's okay, you don't have to all be together, and I'm not just in this land. I'll be with you wherever you go. My presence will always be with you. Some of you are going to go on vacation this summer. You're going to go to beautiful places that I don't get to go. Thank you. But you're going to go and you're going to get one of what you can take us with you. Our presence will be with you. You can live stream whenever you want. Right? You're on the beach, live stream. Tell us where you are and then we'll all be jealous. But God is saying, listen, you can go and I'll still be with you. Or how about Psalm? We should definitely read something from Psalm, right? You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence. I love the fact that in God's presence, there is joy that always produces joy and the pleasures of living with you forever. Man, that's gorgeous. Or let's jump all the way to Revelation, go from Genesis to Revelation where it says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. And I love the way that um, Eugene Peterson says it in the Message Bible because he essentially says, God's setting up residence in your neighborhood. 
but God lives right where you live. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. So he doesn't just show up. He's here actually continually making his dwelling place among us in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes, in our families. That's where God is. His presence is here with us all the time. But you know what? Do you ever feel alone? Because sometimes we do. Sometimes we we feel alone. We don't know that there's somebody else around. We don't know that God is there because we don't feel him, because we haven't submitted to him, because we haven't focused on him. But, but God is there. I, I stay in hotels sometimes, obviously. And um, this one time I was, I, was, um, I, was, I was in the restroom for some reason in my hotel room. And um, I was leaving and wash my hands. And I walk out and all of a sudden there's the cleaning lady right there vacuuming with her back to me. Now we have an issue. She's a little bit older. I'm behind her. She clearly doesn't know that I'm here, and I do not want to scare her. But hotel rooms are not that big. So she's vacuuming, and I'm like thinking, well, maybe I should just tap her on the shoulder. But she's in it. Like she is vacuuming, like taking care of business. So she's very focused. And I know if I tap her on the shoulder, this woman will have a heart attack and die. And so I think that's not, that's not a good plan um, at all. So she's vacuuming. I'm trying to figure out what to do. And I find myself like, as she's moving, I'm sort of moving along with her. And then I realize if somebody is looking through the window, this doesn't look right. It looks like I'm either about to murder her or we're doing some sort of very strange vacuum dance that nobody really understands. So I'm like, I got to get it. So she starts to move this way. I walk this way and kind of get parallel to her. And then I, I, I like stand there looking at her and she's like, ah! screams, falls on the bed and starts saying not so Jesus-y words. I mean, she said Jesus in the midst of it, but I think she meant something different. Poor woman, I felt so bad. And immediately she starts apologizing to me. I'm so sorry. I'm like, are you alive? Don't be sorry if you're still breathing. I'm sorry. And she's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, this is my room. She said, I knocked on the door. I was like, yeah, I was in, in, in the bathroom. And she's like, and I said hello. And I was like, yeah, again, I was in the bathroom. I didn't know what to do. And she's like, I'll leave, I'll leave. And I was like, no, I'll leave. So I left my room. Because it seemed right at the time. I went down and just sat in the lobby. She wasn't alone. She felt like she was alone. She wasn't alone. You may feel like you're alone. You're not alone. But, you know, the thing is, the presence of God is not simply meant to be like a balm to make you feel good when you're okay. It's actually power. It's actually power. The presence of God is power in our lives. And there's a story about the power of presence, of God's presence in the lives of three men um, in Daniel 3. There's a story of power of God's presence. And so let me give you a quick context. You've heard the story before, probably. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it happens in Daniel 3. It's 30 verses. We're not going to go through all 30 verses. But this story is about the power of the presence of God. And so let me just give you some quick context, right? And, and like I said, probably most of you know the story. If you don't, King Nebuchadnezzar, very powerful, was convinced by some of his um, advisors that he should build a great statue. And that statue should be worshipped. And in that way, they were worshiping not only him, but the gods of Nebuchadnezzar as well. And so he decrees that this be made, and then he decrees that everyone come together. And when they come together, they must all worship. And it starts like this in Daniel 3, 5. It says, when you hear 
the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, which oddly, when you read this story, every time they talk about all the musical instruments, it lists all of those. Like, just in case you forgot, there's going to be a horn, a flute, a zither, a lyre, a harp, pipes, and other musical instruments every time, like four times through this text. We'll be kind of jumping through the text, so we're only going to see it here. Um, but then it says, bowed to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Now, I don't know what you have in your head when we're talking about King Nebuchadnezzar's statue, but normally what I got in my head was that statue from Nebuchadnezzar's dream, right? Of the head and the shoulders. And um, that's not what this is. It was 90 feet tall and only nine feet wide. So it's a very tall, it was probably a post, a stele, if you will, that goes straight up and there was a bust of something on the top. Interestingly enough as well, nowhere in this text does it say it was a statue of Nebuchadnezzar. It says it was Nebuchadnezzar's statue that he owned, not one that was of him. So it could have been of one of the gods that he worshipped, or it could have been of him, we don't know, but just, you know, a little bit of context there for you. Anyway, this is the brass tacks of it, right? Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Why is there a furnace there? Because they just finished the statue. They didn't just put a furnace there to punish people, probably. They had been working with metals, they needed to heat them up, so the furnace was there, pretty convenient to punish somebody, and, you know, a little intimidating, so that, that's fair. Um, the story continues in verse 12. We're taking a few jumps here. He, they, they play it. They play the, the loud noise, and everybody kneels except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so now the advisors are telling the king this. Listen, there's some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, always in that order, interestingly enough, um, whom you've put in charge of the province of Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar not only knew them, but respected them and had given them power. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve the gods, um, to serve your gods, and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. And so, you know, that's how it goes. So at this point, Nebuchadnezzar flies into a rage, and literally the word that is used, literally the words that are used are translated as fury and rage. Okay, that's a lot. Do you ever feel rage? Yes, but you don't feel fury with the rage, right? The, King Nebuchadnezzar felt fury and rage. Listen, the, there is a group of people that know how to handle fury and rage, and they do it bombastically, amazingly. They're two-and-a-half-year-olds. You ever seen a two-and-a-half-year-old? They are in fury and rage. They're handling both sides of that coin. They are out of their minds, and the best thing is when it's happening in, like, Costco, right? Because they can grab things, and they're grabbing things, and they're throwing stuff, and parents, and listen, if you're a parent of one of those two-and-a-half-year-olds, listen, we feel for you. Those of us who have been parents before, we feel for you, and we love it, just to be clear. Like, we love the fact that your child is losing everything, losing their minds in fury and rage. We're not judging you. Our kids did it. We don't think you're a bad parent. We think it's hilarious, but we're not going to help you. Like, you are on your own. So we love you, we're with you, we've got your back, just not going to help, right? Fury and rage, that's what's going on. Um, so Shadrach, Meshach, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, be brought before him when they were brought in. So he brings them in, right? Nebuchadnezzar says to them, hey, is, it, is this really true, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I've set up? And I love this because what this means is that Nebuchadnezzar, he knew them and he liked them. And he wasn't willing to take his, his other people's word for it. He was like, hey, did that really happen? Are you, because, you know, we're friends. Did that really happen? 
And then he says, listen, I'll give you one more chance to bow down and to worship the statue. Like, I'll give you one more chance. Um, when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, but if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then, and this is good, then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? See how he set that up? In a quick turn of phrase, he set up, all the gods were less powerful than his actual power. He said, listen, what God is going to be able to save you from my power? And Shadrach and Meshach and Nebuchadnezzar answered in a really interesting way. They actually replied like this. They said, hey, king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. Like, we're good. You don't need to ask us to have another chance. We don't need another chance. Because if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. We're not concerned about that. He's, he's powerful enough to save us. He'll rescue us from your power, your majesty. And they actually spoke directly to the power that he was speaking of. They're like, oh, he'll rescue us from your power because, you know, it's not that, not that big, right? And then they said something that we really need to pay attention to. Then they said, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue. Not, we're not going to do this. We probably won't. But he's shutting the door on this. They are shutting the door on Nebuchadnezzar. He's got no wiggle room. We will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. A couple things are happening here that are really important. First of all, they're like, listen, you got some issues you got you going on? Listen, we're never going to do that, so you don't need to give us a second chance. Appreciate it. Thanks. We're not going to do that. Second of all, God can save us. Not a problem at all. We have no worry in the world. We have submitted ourselves to him, and he will absolutely save us. That's not a problem. But if he doesn't, the next thing we see is God anyway, so we're good. We are not worried about what you think we're worried about. This is not a problem. And you know why they could say this? They could say this because they understood what it was to live in the presence of God. They felt it before they got in the furnace and they feel it in the furnace and they would feel it when they got out. Why? Because they knew what submission really was. We sense the presence of God when we submit to God. Not until then because God doesn't go where he is not asked to go. And so when we ask God and we get that presence, we feel his presence. And this is what's interesting. Perhaps this is why so often we feel God's presence when we praise. Because we have submitted to God's sovereignty in a way that we don't often do in other places in our lives. Right? This is why praise is so important. This is why prayer is so important. It focuses us and it reminds us to submit ourselves to God. And oftentimes we don't do that in the rest of our lives, right? We don't. We have a tendency to want to take care of everything that's going on in our life because we figure we're competent enough to handle it. And since we're competent enough to handle it, we don't need to submit to God because why would we? We're taking care of our business, but see, this focus on Christ that praise actually gives us, gives us, it reminds us to give him our undivided attention. But it's only in a few places in our lives nowadays. How can we live with that kind of submission in a more powerful way? Really, how can we feel that presence of God more powerfully so that we're focusing more on submission to God and his sovereignty and what he wants for our lives? Well, you know, there's a way that it happens. Crisis is a way that this happens. Crisis often begets focus on Jesus. You know this, like when we go through crisis, we pretty quickly start praying, right? We, we change our attitude because now all of a sudden we need God. You needed him before, but now we feel like we need God, right? This is what happens. But you know what? Christians are so funny. We use words in funny ways. Every once in a while I'll ask somebody like, hey, how's it going? They're like, oh, pastor, I'm so blessed. Things are going well in my life. 
Since when does blessing mean things are easy? I want you to think about that for a moment, right? You're only blessed when things are going well in your life. You're only blessed when, when the job's working out, when the wife's you know, making what you want for dinner, when the husband's buying you everything that you need. You only, you only, that sounds like weird generalizations. I apologize for that. Like, I'll just admit that right now. Like, that was weird. Like, just forget that last thing. Well, the, the point I'm making, I hope you understand. The point I'm making is that we think that things going well equals blessing. Maybe, just maybe, it's the crisis that refocuses us on the presence of God in our lives that is really the blessing. Maybe, yeah, maybe, just perhaps, maybe blessing isn't everything going well. Maybe blessing is everything falling apart so you can realize that you do need God. Just perhaps, just perhaps, don't answer the question of how you're doing as blessed when it's going well because you've got about this much of the definition of what blessing is. It bugs me because we think we're somehow in favor or favored by God when things are going well. What about when things are going horribly? You think God's not there, that God's not present, then oh, now I need to pray for his presence because things are going bad. And he just wants me to have a super easy, super simple, super, you know, great life. How did that work out for any disciple of Jesus? And I think they would go, and if you said, I think if you said, I think if you said to Paul, as he was being beheaded, hey man, how are you doing? He would have gone, hang on a minute, blessed. All right, let's go. Right? Or Peter, as he's hanging upside down on his cross. Peter, how you doing? Well, it's a little inconvenient, but I'm blessed. Right? We equate blessing with everything going well. Stop that. Because that means you're only going to go to God when you're not being blessed. Right? When things aren't going well. And then, okay, now let's get focused. All right. What if, I mean, I want the presence of God in my life all the time. I don't want the presence of life when things are just going badly. I want it when it's going good, goodly. It's getting weird today. Right, let's go back to the story. So Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right, so furious that his face gets distorted with rage, which makes me feel like the writer of this was like poking a little fun at him, like this dude was angry. Right, he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Why? Fire's gonna kill you. Seven times hotter fire's just gonna kill you. You don't get killed twice, but he's angry, right? Then he orders some of the strongest men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up, threw them into the furnace, dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. It's appropriate that he would tell us what they were wearing, right? So he's wearing the pants and other garments. Then, because... The king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. That's how hot it was. That stinks for those soldiers. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. And I love the way the author of this text writes. I love it because he's very dramatic. He goes, but suddenly... Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, hey, didn't we put three guys in the fire and throw them in? Didn't we? It was three, right? And, and, and the advisor's like, yeah, man, it was three. One, two, three. It's pretty easy count. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, hey, look, I see four unbound. 
walking around in the fire unharmed. And by the way, the fourth looks like God. What is going on here? And in some translation, it says the fourth looks like the Son of God. Right? The presence of God pushed back the fire. The encroaching flames, the deep and utter destruction wasn't visited on them because of their willingness to submit to God's will. You heard what they said. Listen, he's powerful enough to do it, but if he doesn't, we're good. He's powerful enough to save us. He's definitely more powerful than you, Nebuchadnezzar, but if he doesn't, that's fine. We're good. God shows up. Nebuchadnezzar is like, I'm in trouble now. Nebuchadnezzar walks up to the place, right? He gets as close as he can to the door of the flaming furnace. And he goes, hey, guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, guys. Uh, And then he, he adds a little thing. And I think he's hedging his bets here. Hey, guys, servants of the Most High God. I think what he's saying is like, you have access to something I don't have access to. Like, I can throw you in the fire. He can make the fire not hurt you. I'm going to acknowledge that. Good for Nebuchadnezzar, even if he was just covering his own behind, right? He's like, hey, servants of the Most High God, why don't you come out here? Come out here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego step out of the fire. Now, this is what's about to happen. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was singed. And their clothing was not scorched. And they didn't even smell of smoke. Right? We know this story. We know the story. This is nothing new. But I want you to think about it in this context. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were going through crisis. Rather than try and take care of the crisis themselves, which I'm not sure how they would have done that, just blow on the fire to try and keep it away. Rather than try and take care of it themselves, they submitted themselves to God. They submitted themselves to his power. They submitted themselves to his will, even if he wouldn't have saved them. And what happened? The fire wasn't there. The fire didn't touch them. That crisis that you're going through right now, that crisis that you feel like you've got to wrap your cloak around you so the flames don't catch you, so the darkness doesn't get you, it doesn't exist when God's presence is there. It is not there at all anymore. It doesn't send you. It doesn't even make you smell like smoke. It is gone. It is completely abolished with the presence of God. But man, we, yeah. Yeah, but we want to fight back the fire. We want to be our own firemen in our lives because we think we can do it. Listen, the presence of God will always protect, provide, and prevail. It protects us in the fire, it provides for us in the loneliness, and it prevails against all darkness. So I'm going to ask you a simple question today. Where do you most profoundly experience the presence of God? Where in your life? Is it, are, you, are you a beach person who like when that sun goes down at the beach, that's when you know the presence of God, then you better go to the beach every single day. Is it when you're, you're talking with your family and talking with your friends and you have these conversations that just lift up, you know, and just, you know, lift one another up and the presence of God is clear there, then you better make a lot of lunch appointments to hang out with them. Is it in church when you praise God in the worship, then you need to be here every single week early ready to praise God. Is it when you pray with other people or pray with yourself, then you need to become a person who is deeply invested in prayer all the time. Is it when you're driving to work and you're stuck on the 210 freeway and you're the one who feels the presence of God, the only one who feels the presence of God as you drive? Because if that's you, get on the road right now. Because we have to be seekers of the presence of God that only happens when we submit to his will, when we give ourselves over to him, when we give his sovereignty, when we give in his sovereignty, we say, Lord, just listen, man, this is yours. 
this life, and this, by the way, this life, it's a continual giving. It's not a one-time giving where you get baptized and then that's it. We have a tendency to be people who take things back too often. We give our lives to God, we get baptized, and then we go, you know, I'm going to need that for later. I'm going to need to, there's some things I got to get through. And God's like, yeah, no, I, got, I know, I got it. Like, it's fine. I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at, I'm pretty good at this. And you're like, yeah, I understand that, Lord. But here's the thing. Um, I need to do it because I'm a self-made person. And if you don't give me my life back and I don't try and struggle with it, I'll call you when I need you. How about that? I'll call you when I need you. And God's like, you need me now. Like, you don't understand the fire that you're walking through right now. And we go, yeah, 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 but it's not that hot. It's warm. It's not hot. And God goes, well, are you sure that you want it back? And we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'll call you. Don't worry. I'll call you. You are not alone. The presence of God is accessible every single moment of every single day. The presence of God pushes back in the darkness and the fire in our lives. Don't do this alone. Not only do you not have to, but God says all throughout Scripture, I am here with you. I want to make my dwelling place among you. I want to be here. And in fact, he is here. You may not feel it, but chances are you're not feeling it because you're not submitting. You're not going, Lord, just come a little closer. I need to know. God is not present when your life is going well. And God is not just present when your life is going poorly and you finally decide to ask. God is present, ever present in your life right now today. And whether it's through praise, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through whatever it is, be in that place so you can receive the presence of God because the presence of God is power to push back the darkness in our lives. Let's bow our heads. Lord, keep pushing back the darkness. Make your presence known. Lord, may we not just, may we not just feel like we're blessed because things are going well in our lives, but may we go through the fire with you so that the fire can never touch us, can't scorch us, can't singe our eyebrows, and our clothes don't even smell like smoke. Lord, may the powers of this world recognize that the power that they have is nothing compared to the power that you have. And Lord, when you hear our praises today, make your presence explode into this place. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen.